All right. So Ev, we've got an incredible show. It kind of took a crazy journey. So we're splitting it into two episodes. How exciting is that, right? So it started out with the Ukraine. It's affecting us all in different ways. We're seeing things with social media and the way uh, news is covering things. It's very different for the very first time. And it's changing our economy. It's affecting us worldwide. Maybe that's something that's happened in all wars, but we're seeing it firsthand. So we thought we'd bring Ian Adair in to talk to him. And he's on the show with us today. And of course, our thought leader at Feeding Tampa Bay is Thomas Mance. So anytime you talk about economy or anything about that that affects those in our care in our 10 counties, we really need Thomas in the room. So he's on the show today and uh, the, the conversation is great. But then it kind of takes a crazy turn. So now we've split it into two, right? Yeah, I mean, we decided to do the episode because we're obviously in the middle of several crises going on right now between, uh, you know, obviously still dealing with the pandemic, now dealing with Ukraine, dealing with the effects that it's having on our economy. And uh, we brought Ian in because he specializes in talking about how to protect your mental health in times of crisis. And so, you know, this first half of the episode is largely about how to um, create a toolkit for yourself how to make sure that you're switching off when you need to and how to actively find peace for yourself. Because as Ian and Thomas talk about in the episode, self-care isn't just about getting away from suffering. It's about actively finding or creating peace for yourself. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. So friends, buckle up, listen in. I think you're going to enjoy it um, or at least bring some understanding from it. So thank you for listening. And as you know, you can get a hold of us anytime. Uh, and reach directly out to Ev or I on social. So thank you for listening and enjoy. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Stick a Fork in It and um, kind of mixed emotions. We're having a special edition today, but I'm really excited to have our president and CEO, Thomas Mance, join us and Ian Adair, executive director of the Grace Point Foundation. Um, because we're talking about things that are really impacting those in our care and people in our community. So I'd start us out by saying, you know, we are just coming in, thank goodness, on the cusp of the pandemic, starting to feel a little normalcy. And then all of a sudden, this thing in the Ukraine starts happening. And we all see a huge ripple effect. And I know everyone notices that especially if you're on social media. So Ian, I'm gonna ask you first. Um, I know I've had some experiences. What have conversations have you had about how to cope? Because it's a very different thing now than anything we've experienced before. It, it definitely is. What we're hearing is this is the first war really and truly being played out on social media, mm-hmm. all forms of social media. Um, a lot of our content in the past uh, had some more checks and balances to it, had some more gatekeepers to it, had people presenting it to us differently kind of after the fact, but we're seeing a lot of things in real time. We're not used yes. to seeing that. Um, it, it's a lot we're taking in right now. I mean, we're coming two years now into a pandemic, mm-hmm. uh, a recession, inflation issues post-pandemic, um, a lot of political discourse. A lot of people have, have compassion fatigue for what we've been hearing and all the things we've been dealing with over the last two years. So to now have to see what's being played out on the world stage is a lot for a lot of people to take in because we're already a little overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're already uh, exhausted to a point. We're vulnerable to a point. Um, 
it's hard watching uh, anybody suffer, especially families, especially children. And when, when we see this now, it's no longer just on the news where we used to get our information disseminated to us, but it's on all forms of media which we go each and every day. And some of those forms we're used, we used to go to just for entertainment value, yes. some just for uh, just to kind of get out of the everyday, the, the laugh and, and you know self-care and, and look at things that were a little bit funny to us and, mm-hmm. uh, and disconnect a little bit. But now it's played out on all forms of social media, uh, 24-7 news cycle, and, it, and it's really hard for a lot of us to take in. It is, and you'll also find, like, you know, preparing for this, I took a story on social media um, that it was uh, the Russian astronauts were flying Ukrainian colors when they landed on the space station, right? So I've learned, of course, as most of us should, I Googled it, and that really wasn't the case. It was the colors of the college that they all three went to uh, back in their home country. So it's kind of also the checks and balances on what is real, and I know a lot is coming out that videos and things like that are being used that really aren't telling the true story, and there's just a lot going on that we have to be really smart in um Comprehending and making sure we really know what's going on and not just taking it for face value. I think that's 100% correct. We've become headline readers because of the amount of information that comes in and we're overwhelmed True. by it. Sometimes we can't read more than just the headline and the headline elicits an emotional response from us mm-hmm. no matter what it is, whether it's meant to or not. It's usually meant to, of course. But this is one of those incidents where we don't know where if all the information is correct. And if you look at some of the, some of the things, some of the checks and balances social media companies have put into place, like Twitter has put in some things in place, graphic content, uh, content, whether it's been shown not to be uh, truthful or not. But there's ways around that. And we're, and we're reading there's ways around that. Mm-hmm. The video might not be truthful. But if you just tweet about something, whether it's truthful or not, and you don't add content to it, there's a way around uh, yes. those checks and balances. And so we can't stop that. Right. And I think we're put in a place where if it does elicit an emotional response from us, we have to one, verify what that is and make sure it's not just something that got a rise out of us. Right. Or two, look at it as just something that accomplished what it was meant to accomplish. And you went and looked at what the story was about and learned what the truth of the story was about. Most people aren't going to do that. Right. So it, it becomes now about taking sides. It becomes now about getting more involved or a call to action, but it's doing it in a way that's not doing a disservice to us for our mental health, for our emotional health, and for our well-being. So in my household, I'm probably a listener has experienced this too, I have younger children who are being exposed to this. Do you have any advice on, you know, of course we have our gut explanations, and I fortunately know a little bit about median and to do your homework and not everything you see is true but do you have any advice on how we can help guide children or younger generations that are going through this because they're seeing this this is the way they think this has always been like this is how we've always seen war and it um, really isn't this is new which I of course took the time to explain but how should we I think now we I think now more than ever we have to encourage these conversations uh, more than just at the dinner table. They have to happen all the time. Um, you know, One of the things that we talk about in the mental health space and that parents get a little bit concerned about is the more you talk about suicide ideation and children that say they have thoughts of suicide, the more you deter the act of suicide. So um, when we see things, 
that uh, elicit a strong emotional response from our children, we have to talk about them. And I think we have to understand this has given us an opportunity as parents to re-engage our kids and how they disseminate their right. information because they're overwhelmingly spending their time on their phones doing one of two things, which is social media or gaming. Right. So if they're on social media and they're seeing popular platforms for certain mm -hmm. age groups of kids, and right now TikTok is one of the most yep. popular, um, you have to look at the number of times. I believe I did a little bit of research right before this, and I believe 180,000 Instagram posts have used the hashtag concerning the Ukraine war. So how much of that information is actually truthful and how much actually it pertains to what's going on in the Ukraine? So there's an opportunity here when our kids see things they're not used to seeing in a different light, whether it's families being torn apart, whether it's talking about the refugee crisis that's happening right now, whether it's showing actual live footage of buildings after they've been destroyed or bombed, we have to be able to talk about the realities of war and what those, what those families are doing, and then understand that could be a nice call to action for our children to get involved and what we can do to get involved for them to feel better about being proactive and seeing this and not not just feeling like they're helpless in understanding what's happening and that they can't do something about it. Mental health awareness is a major key to success today, both personally and professionally. The team at Stick of Forkinet and Ian Adair invite you to join us for the fourth annual Stronger Than Stigma event on Friday, May 13th, where more than 400 mental health advocates gather for a fun and inspiring event supporting mental health services. To learn more about purchasing tickets or sponsor opportunities, go to gracepointfoundation.org. We'll see you there. Well, and I um, read Chris O'Donnell did a piece on the Times, and I also think it's a... Um, teaching opportunity, at least for in my household, to make your your own decisions, because there are wonderful and amazing Russian and Ukrainian people all over the world, and not to com kind of compartmentalize when you see like a video or choose a side, you need to educate yourself on what's going on, and these are wonderful, amazing people, and I encourage people, we'll put the link in to read Chris's um, uh what am I, article oh, on us. Thank you. <laughs> gotcha. um, his article on um, a, a Ukrainian marries a Russian, and um, they're here living in Tampa Bay, and and how life is for them, and having family overseas, and going through all of this. I just think it's time to teach compassion as well. A hundred percent. Everything you just said was stuff that we saw that we learned from even going through the pandemic and who we were blaming for the pandemic and where we blaming certain countries for the right. spread right. of the pandemic. And how do we treat our neighbors that were from those backgrounds or from those countries? And so we've seen this time and time again. When we look to place blame, we don't usually place it over there where it belongs. We place it to where it's nearest to us. Right. Um, and that, does, that usually causes an incredible disservice to our communities to our friends, to our neighbors. So we have to take the opportunity to really figure out, okay, am I just going to be upset about something or am I going to channel whatever I'm feeling into something proactive and find ways to help either in my own community or help abroad? Very good. What are your thoughts, Thomas? Very quiet. Um, uh, thanks for the perspective. I was thinking, so I'm the old guy here. <laughs> uh, and I remember there's a theory that says one of the things that brought about the end of the Vietnam War was the news station showing coverage of American soldiers coming home in caskets. And prior to that, no one had ever seen that on TV before. So I was seven, eight, nine years old when that happened. And there's a belief that that really started to change public opinion about the war and whether mm -hmm. we wanted to uh, participate in it. 
but the the conversation, right? That's the content. I think the point you're making, which is a struggle for all of us, is what's the context? Right. I think that's where we start to get, you know, uh, that we start to have challenges, right? Mm-hmm. Is it's not just the piece of information; it's making some sense of what that information should mean to us, right? And I think, Ian, that's kind of what you were talking about in some ways by saying, if we're able to have that conversation. Um, we're able to then provide context to whoever may see that information. Because we only had, like every other family, had one TV in the house, everybody watched the same show together, and context was provided instantly you know, right. by those in the room with you, right? We didn't consume information uh, apart from that right. circumstance. Uh, we all read the same newspaper. I'm not, and I'm not saying this because I think we should go backwards. I think the amount of information today available to us is incredibly wonderful in most instances. But what we've lost is the ability to provide context around it. Mm-hmm. And the other observation I would make about this, and Ian, I, I think you know you alluded to it in some ways. It is very difficult right now, I think, for people to parse their way through a significant amount of input into their intellectual, emotional, and spiritual lives, certainly over the last 20 months, mm-hmm. right? Uh, but over a longer period of time. And I think um, it's really hard to differentiate between the pandemic, uh, a uh, war uh, that we see on TV, uh, ongoing political discourse that at best lends itself to a negative view of, of, of who we are as human beings, uh, and then now an economic downturn that has made ways of life more challenging. And so I think for it's so it's not only the context of the war, but it's the other version of context is what's the context of that information within the scope of your own experience. And I think what I see, and you you mentioned this word, I think what I see and what we see is a significant amount of emotional, uh, mental, and spiritual fatigue. Mm -hmm. That folks are just, right? It's like, what's now? What's next? What's, right? right? It's been somewhat relentless. It has. It's been nonstop for almost two and a half years. And I think you can take some of these things further back, Mm -hmm. political discord, recessions on and off for the last Mm -hmm. decade. Um, But what you said about context, when when as parents, um, as an older generation, we'd get our content and we'd get context for it. Mm -hmm. Um, Our kids weren't interested in the news. And if they were, they were there sitting next to us at the time. We could talk about it. But I have a 12-year-old son, um, so he's getting his information from different sources when he's in his room on his smartphone uh, or talking to his friends with online gaming, and he's asked questions about the war, and he saw something or he read a headline. I'm getting my information from different sources. So trying to put the two two together and have those explanations and have those critical conversations to discuss, you know, what is a refugee crisis? You know, right. what, what is what, who else is going to get involved in this war? I know one of the questions that my son asked is, does that mean our country's getting involved next? What is what does that mean? Right. Why do I keep hearing World War Three? You're seeing that in headlines. Yeah. So they're seeing all kinds they of are. stuff. And we have to pump the brakes a little bit um, and understand that although this war is being played out on a 24 seven news cycle, it's being played out right now while we're speaking. Yeah. Um, how are we going to be able to help? add context to that information? How are we going to be able to talk to our employees that are seeing it and being affected by it? How are we going to talk to the populations that we serve that are seeing it and being impacted by it? How are we going to be able to provide our services locally 
in our communities. And then also know that some people that we do serve have somebody they know that's being impacted mm-hmm. in a way, a family member, a neighbor, something. So because we're a very international state as it is. We're a very international country as it is, but especially the state of Florida. So there's a lot of things that we're looking at here. And I do think put all of this together with what's going on, um, the mental health crisis, and I believe I, I've talked, I, I talk about this a lot. Uh, I believe the epidemic within the pandemic is the mental well-being of people that suddenly have just seen and been through and been impacted by too much. Mm-hmm. And a lot of those times are the people that are in our professions, are the people that are the caregivers, are the helpers. Um, and when when is it enough for them? And we got to make sure we take care of them. We got to make sure uh, that we look after their wellness. And we got to make sure that we keep this discourse open uh, because you never know who's been impacted. Because um, like Robin Williams famously said, everyone out there is fighting a battle that right. you know nothing about. So if you can do anything, just be kind. A few years ago, uh, probably about five or six years ago now, I asked a group of, uh, I think it was seven or eight of our millennials to go out to dinner. So I took them out and I bought them dinner and I just wanted to kind of have some conversation with them about their experiences. And, you know, uh, we, we nonprofits skew young, right? You either have people at one end of the spectrum or the other. But we generally skew young in age of folks working for us. And there were a lot of interesting things that came out of that, which still kind of color some of my thinking today. One of which was there's a colleague we have, her name is Clarissa. And uh, Clarissa, at the time that we went to dinner, was probably around 23 or 24, let's say 24 years old. And we were sharing experiences, you know, what's the first thing you remember, right? You have that conversation about what's that material thing that happened in your life that was kind of a worldwide thing that everybody had that shared uh, belief about. And we got into a different conversation that Clarissa shared, I'm 24 years old and I've never known us not at war. And that stunned me because she had grown up entirely in the Mm -hmm. war on Iraq and Afghanistan. Mm -hmm. She had never remembered when we weren't at war. Now, it's not a war fought on our shores, uh, but we were sending soldiers there and it was a part of her world. So that's kind of one idea that her understanding of the worldview was very, very different than, than, than mine was. The context was different. The other thing which was interesting about experience was as we talked around the room, every single person there had seen a parent get laid off from a job, uh, company shut down, and otherwise have income instability in their household. Now, what their takeaway from that was that they needed to better protect themselves against what an employer may do to them where they would have a lack of control. Right? Now, they didn't say it in those words exactly, but understandably. And I guess, Ian, I'm bringing this up because the other part about all of this is we continue to have these, whatever the range of our age is, circumstances in our lives that create experiences or experiences that create our worldview, but what we seem to lack is a toolkit or the capability to understand the impact of that and how it's playing itself out in our own lives. Um, So maybe what you could talk about a little bit is we have this ongoing input, a war in Ukraine, a pandemic. You mentioned a moment ago an epidemic in, in mental health and well-being. But what I really notice more than anything else, because now we're talking generationally my age, Clarissa's age, anybody that we might talk about, 
But the question is, what are the t- what's the toolkit that people yeah. need and what yeah. are the resources that they need in order to cope? How do you start to build that toolkit? Right. Uh, that's, I mean, you're 100% right. The, the fact that we now show so much, but we don't teach how to deal with it. Mm-hmm. Um, we're starting to see a movement in the school system for social-emotional learning. SELs become extremely popular, and I love seeing that because I think that's the precursor to good mental health is understanding how to understand self-awareness and, and, and guide your emotions and learn how to deal through uh, experiences when you're in school. And there's great organizations in our community that are, that are a part of that. But we, we still walk away from our high school and college not learning some of those soft skills that we need to understand. And I think understanding how to take care of yourself mentally has become one of the biggest skills that we need. And understanding that somebody like that, who I guess technically is on the high end of Gen Z, the, the low end of, of millennial, where they only have witnessed um, you know, situations of conflict overseas, uh, our troops at war, and if they've had any family members associated with the military, they understand it even more. Um, but what are we missing? We're, we've dramatized and misinformed people about what self-care is. We've made it uh, to where it's something that it sounds different. Hollywood's glamorized it. It's made it about hot stone massages and trips to sandy beaches. But we have to understand is we have to when we unplug ourselves or take a break from anything that we're doing or our day to day or our scheduled events. That means can we find something around us right. to take us out of that mental state, of that emotional state that we've just been transacted to, to feel because of headline reading or constant news. And I think understanding what self-care really is, right. mm-hmm. understanding that that can mean just getting up from your computer for working remotely, because a lot of people are still working remotely or hybrid, mm-hmm. uh, and walking away and, and doing those things that put us in a different state. Right. It's, it's not the absence of conflict it's the presence of peace right right and i think that's what i would observe about a lot of this you know we have and this this isn't meant to be a controversial statement we hear a lot of conversation about work-life balance right right and i in concept i understand that and i get what that means and i think it's critically important to have that right but oftentimes, when you look what's underneath that a little bit, someone is saying, I don't really know how to cope with what's going on in my world, and the only way I know to deal with it is to effectively remove myself from it. Yeah. Ergo, I'm going to create balance by moving away from right. what I perceive to be the overload. And the challenge that I notice in that moment is that the overload isn't necessarily work. Often, it's life. Right. <laughs> It's not so much the hours of your job, though that that can be disconcerting Mm -hmm. and difficult. It's that I can't find any peace anywhere, and I'm trying to locate space where that exists. Years and years ago, in a marriage that didn't work, a therapist, I remember, said to my ex-wife and I, you can have conflict at work or you can have conflict at home, but you can't live with conflict in both because you have no place to go. And I think one of the things that people often feel right now is they have no place to go. And emotionally, I think we're all looking for that spot where we can somehow feel like there's peace in this world or peace in my life where, you know, so you talk about the onslaught of information, right? right? We talk about the ongoing challenges that life has, and we certainly have had our share of them. But I don't know how well folks have developed 
a toolkit right. to create, right? You, you, you can't, I've never been able to experience, it's like watching people at Lent. It's always a favorite conversation for those of you that are Catholic out there. What did you give up, right? Yeah. Even though the Lent discipline can also be taking something on, but we won't go it's there. It's a great either. social media post. Right. Yeah, continue. <laughs> right. It's really about the absence of the behavior and what they struggle with. And of course, the discipline is about remembering your relationship with God. So it's meant to be uncomfortable. Yeah. But nature abhors a vacuum. You can't just have not, you have to have something too. And I think this really, in my estimation, is what people really struggle with is if you're not going to be at work or wherever that stress is, what are you going to do to create a positive elsewhere? Right. Uh, and maybe you can talk a little bit about skills that we need to move into to create the presence of positive. Wow. I mean, just a lot of things that we talked about, work-life balance was something it was like the, the, the existential struggle, and then the pandemic happened, and then we all worked from home. And we thought working from home We was, thought, thank God we have work, otherwise we have to focus on this pandemic. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it became something where, you know, we, we, we all thought, well, you know what's going to give me work-life balance, a flexible work schedule. And then, we, and then 45 million people got sent home. And then all we did was r realize what isolation was. And then there was no line clearly drawn from what work was and what home was. Because now we're working at home, there already is a stigma about working from home. So we worked longer, took less time off, and we answered emails and uh, notifications on social media like we were 911 operators because we wanted people to know we were working. And then before we our, pet, our heads hit the pillow, we checked our email one more time. So I, I totally understand that. So now people have struggled with, okay, now where do I go to find peace? And I love the way that you said that because where can I go? And we, we use the term unplug, but we're never unplugged because if we go on a run, we plug into our headphones. Mm -hmm. We go to the gym. You realize when you go to the gym, every single TV is set on a news station? Yeah. Uh, so where, where do you go and what do you do? And your toolkit has to be more than just – what people would call typical self-care items, like I'm going to take myself out somewhere nice, or I'm going to try retail therapy. My wife uses that one on me sometimes. <laughs> I think it's more of a ploy. But um, I start advising to people, let's look at the things that you can do that can make others feel good, because making others feel good makes us feel good as well. Giving you know, starts mm -hmm. the receiving process, and, it, and all these things happen because you, you receive so much when you give, when you give your time, uh, when you give your energy, when you give advice and you mentor, um, when you take time to volunteer someone with, some, with an organization or, or with a group. So the thing that I've actually, most of my friends or network that has struggled during the pandemic and either taking care of a sick relative, uh, becoming because of someone in their household, whether it's a roommate or a spouse, losing their job, becoming the sole earner in their household, where, what could they do and where could they go? And so one of the things that I always suggested was if you can find a place to volunteer your time, that will mean so much for your own well-being. And it could be an organization that you have a history with, or it could be one that you said, they need my help today because I've seen what's going on with food insecurity. I see what's going on with mental health. I see what's going on uh, with, with seniors not being able to get outside uh, their facilities to see their loved ones. And I'm going to help that organization however I can. I'm going to deliver meals because mm -hmm. people are afraid to deliver meals right now, especially during a pandemic. And they're walking away with, I'm getting more from this experience than I ever would have 
before I was in this state. So I was already feeling a little bit isolated. I was already feeling a little bit depressed. I was always feeling a little bit anxious. Whatever that was, I was always feeling a little helpless is usually what I hear in the end. But by giving back, that is what started to pull them out of whatever that feeling was. And that, to them, provided a balance that they'd never had before, especially during the time we just had. Yeah, you know, you used a word, I think, that's really critical to think about with this. And again, I I think we notice it, um, you know, the popular term is victimhood. But I think there's a significant degree of helplessness, right? Um, And the idea, the, the concept I think you're talking about is the concept of ownership, you know, of yourself. So example that that uh, sometimes I've used in talks is uh, there's a fellow named Bill Wilson uh, who uh, now um, you know I guess close to 80 years ago um, was struggling with alcohol dependency right a huge drunk right couldn't figure out how to get sober in and out of treatment centers in and out of hospitals they didn't have treatment centers hospitals insane asylums etc couldn't figure out how to get sober finally struck with the inspiration of trying to help other alcoholics stop drinking. That's ultimately how he stopped drinking. And that was the founding of Alcoholics Anonymous, was helping another person stay sober. And he began to own his own disease by helping others. Right, and I think we come back to this concept over and over again because there's two principles that are important in that moment. How do you move from victimhood into ownership, right? I'm doing something positive to manage this condition that I am in or I have, the circumstances that are in front of me. Secondarily, I'm taking ownership of that by the life of service. Right? I think for all of us, there has to be, again, I think, I think we just hope that uh, happiness is the byproduct of not having conflict. Happiness isn't the byproduct of not having conflict. Happiness is being able to balance life, right, with and up against what is the inevitable conflict or difficulties of the world that we live in. And as you mentioned, the challenge comes, or the opportunity comes when you say, okay, I'm going to spend three hours of my day volunteering and helping another human being, or I'm gonna involve myself positively in the solutions of my community, my family, my circumstances, in a way that lead me forward as opposed to feeling me battered by. It's interesting if you listen to enough folks, and again, you just kind of understand the context of the words, people really feel like, how many times have you heard someone say, it's one more thing? Yeah. And what that tells me in some ways is that we feel defenseless and helpless, and we feel like that next thing is going to be the next thing that, right? So the question becomes, again, coming back to this idea, I think, for all of us, and I think about this in a lot as a, as a you know, uh, an organization that employs folks. How do we build out coping mechanisms, tools, uh, toolkits, skills. Uh, We offered a class, I want to say about 10 days ago, on conflict resolution. Maybe it was more than that, two weeks ago. We probably, it was on Zoom, so we could have that. Probably 85 people signed up for it. Wow. Which tells us two things, both really important pieces of information. A, that we have folks that want to figure out how to manage conflict. And B, we have a heck of a lot of conflict, <laughs> right? People don't know go to a class that they're not. <laughs> they're, yeah, they're getting their toolkit ready. And again, I don't. I'm not offended by the right. idea that they, that it's about feeding Tampa Bay. I don't think it's about that at all. I'm sure people experience stress at work. Right. But I think observationally, coming back to the core of the conversation we're having here, is there's no home, no peace, no rest. 
right? right? And how do you start to find that? And this comes back to even some of the other things I think you're talking about. You know, how do you manage your social intake? How do you manage your um, uh, television intake? How do you manage, right, what does that data start to look like for you and the things that you're bringing into your life uh, and into your world? Uh, and this is, again, where I see those that feel most egregiously affected by outside circumstances are consuming information at the highest pace. Right. And so there's a direct correlation there, right? Um, uh, but there doesn't seem to be an understanding that they're tied together. It's, it's funny. One of, the, one of the funny things an iPhone does is it tells you each week if you've either upped your consumption yes. or, or it's gone down. Or yep. gone down. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think in peak moments of information, um, you know, whether it's about a recession, about a pandemic, about political discord or war, we notice that that uptick happens because we get caught up and taking in as much as possible in the interim so of what our day-to-day our is. We dive, mm-hmm. in we dive into it. We, we don't. We laugh about binge-watching something on Netflix, but we don't talk about binge-watching information on a social platform mm-hmm. because there's nothing to talk about. That makes us sound maybe a little bit sad because we get too into it. I'll be watching a TikTok video, and then 50 TikTok videos later, it's I miss lunch. And it's like, wait a second, what just, what just happened? Where did the time go? And then how am I feeling afterwards? Ev, I don't know. What do you think? I, I'm, I'm a binge watcher. I think it's the nature of what I do. Um, maybe the nature of what we do. But I did check my cell phone and my timing and all that. And I, I don't know. But I really want everyone to remember to tune into the next episode where this continues. And it goes on to the workplace. And although I, you know, I'm more towards Thomas's age versus Ev's age or maybe Ian's age, but uh, I think I think change is good, and I, I'm really thrilled with uh, how we're addressing mental health and the tools and things you'll learn in the next episode. So you don't want to miss out on our next episode. So tune in. You can learn more about Feeding Tampa Bay and how to join the movement at feedingtampabay.org. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube at Feeding Tampa Bay. Thank you.